1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4. For I would not, brethren, have you ignorant that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual food and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of a spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Well, some of you will know that I began preaching on the life of David uh, a few years ago and many of you know, of course, that the three elders here rotate the morning pulpit every four months. And so it's, it's my uh, responsibility, and, but I might say more pointedly, it's my joy to return to this uh, morning pulpit and to continue, by God's grace, um, preaching from Samuel, the life of David. But as we are just now beginning to do that again for this uh, rotation, and also because I'm not going to be able to be here next week, I thought it would be good to, to rehearse some of the arguments, if you will, some of the defenses, some of the biblical realities that David indeed was a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to look at what types are, what, what constitutes a type as best as the Lord enables me to do so. We just read that portion from Paul's epistle, his first epistle to the church at Corinth. And we see there in the words of the apostle stating clearly that the rock from whence those people in the Old Testament drank, that that rock was Christ. That rock was a type is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. One has, has said that a type is the preordained representative relation which certain persons, events, and institutions of the Old Testament bear to corresponding persons, events, and institutions in the New. I think that that's not exhaustive, but I think that it's accurate as far as it goes. I was reminded of a word that I come across. I'm not sure if, if there's only one single writer that uses this word, but he really loves this word and uses it quite frequently. And, and I, if I had forgotten at any moment who I was reading, I'm reminded when I come across the word adumbrate, and I've only read it, I've never heard it, so I'm assuming that's the correct pronunciation. But it's an interesting word, and, and it simply means to cast a shadow. From the same root as umbrella, a dumbbrate, the UMB there, the UMBR, it's from the same root as umbrella. And, 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 and the dictionary goes on to say that to sketch or outline faintly to indicate in advance, to foreshadow. That's what it is to adumbrate. That's what it is to cast a shadow. I would make the point right here that I trust I'll be able to make several times before I'm through. For a shadow to be cast 
there must be light. There must be light, and that light is in the New Testament. And these types, there's a shadow cast. Shadow, in a qualified sense, is a synonym for a type. It's one of the terminologies that's used in the scriptures with regard to types. And Paul uses it uh, in uh, Colossians. In Colossians 2, he uses that word uh, shadow in 2, 16 and 17. When he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath day, all these things that were part of the traditions were part of the commandments even in the Old Testament. He says, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is Christ. And again, the author of Hebrews uses this terminology in Hebrews 8.5. When he says, speaking of the priests, again, of course, in the old economy, who serve that which is a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, even as Moses, and he goes on with reference to the tabernacle, but these things are copies and shadows of heavenly things, things in the heavens, things that weren't revealed necessarily to those folk in the, under the old economy. And again in 10.1 of Hebrews, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things and so on. But these apostles, these New Testament writers speak of types as shadows. We think of the umbrella again, and we think of a beach umbrella, perhaps. And it's to cast a shadow, is it not? That's the whole idea of it, when you plant that on the beach, is to have some shade to sit under, sit under so that you get, don't get your skin all red and burned. A dumbbrate to cast a shadow. And again, there must be light for a shadow. You don't see shadows in the darkness but in the light. Many believe that a valid type must be referred to in the New Testament. If you can't find it in the New Testament, then it's not a valid type. Well, they have good arguments. There may be a case to be made there. I'm not sure, I confess. Jonah exemplifies this when we read Christ's own words in Matthew 12, 40, when he said, even as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And the words of Christ tell us that that case of Jonah in Jonah 1.17 typified him being in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, typing out that Christ was going to be in the heart of the earth Three days and three nights. So we have warrant to believe that Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. I frankly think that verse 15, so they took up Jonah. You remember the situation with Jonah fleeing unto Tarshish, avoiding doing what God had commanded him to do. And he took a ship 
and the waves, the Lord in his anger against what Jonah was doing, his disobedience, stirred up the winds and the waves and the, and the sailors were fearful they were going to all be lost. And they came up to Jonah and asked him, what is this all about? Somehow they perceived that it was because of him. And he knew they were right. And he told them, if I can shorten the story, throw me into the sea. My life for all these. To me, that's a type of Christ. But we don't have it. And this is an example of not having this uttered in the New Testament to verify the typology of that. But it is a beautiful picture, is it not, of what Caiaphas said, speaking out of his own ignorance, but that it is better that one die for all, to put it simply. So we see that typology of Jonah represented there, and we also see the possibility of, of a type in the 15th verse. But again, a shadow must have light, and, and a, if the shadow is too dark, if, like perhaps that verse 15 of Jonah 1, if the shadow is too dark, we need to be careful. If there's not light upon it, not sufficient light upon it. I was reminded of the Puritans in the case of Edward VI. They saw Edward as a, a type of Josiah. We read of Josiah in 2 Kings. We read of Josiah, and you, you can see why they would have possibly done something like that in 2 Kings 22, how they might have laid hold of that, looking, well, just like we do so often. We're looking for a defense for some practice or something, and, and we're going we're gonna to jump at the least intimation that something has been validated by the Word of God. But listen to what we read in 2 Kings 22. Just Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. And so on and so forth. He walked in all the ways of David his father. And turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. He was a, a godly king. But he began reigning when he was only eight years old. And the, many of the Puritans, the Protestants, took this to, to be typed out, if you will, in the life of Edward VI, who was nine years old when, he, when his father Henry VIII died and he began to reign over England and Ireland. And so that, I suggest that's carrying typology too far. Edward VI was not a type of Josiah. It might have been a good illustration to use, but it's not a type and it's not enforced by scripture at all. And of course, many of these Puritans, they followed the uh, iconoclastic ways of, of the reforms of Josiah. And, and, you know, they were busting down graven images and so on, even as we read in that Second Kings portion about those reforms under Josiah. But that's carrying it too far. That's carrying it too far to base it on the life of Josiah. We're not told, certainly not told that Edward VI was a type. But we certainly have types in the Old Testament. Paul, again, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he removes any doubt with regard to the Passover. He refers to Christ, our Passover. There's no doubt that Christ 
is that the, the Paschal Lamb was a type in the old economy of our Lord Jesus Christ when Paul, an inspired apostle, says, Christ, our Passover. And it's just as clear, is it not, from the words of our Savior's own mouth when he spoke in John chapter 3. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believeth on him might be saved. The typology there of the brazen serpents biting, or the fiery serpents biting people, and Moses being commanded when he cried unto God, what, what can I do to make this bronze serpent on a pole and hold it up? And whoever looks will be healed. And isn't that the gospel? Whoever looks to Christ savingly will be healed from their sin through his blood. So there's no doubt about the typology because it's from Christ's own words, even as Christ our Passover is from the apostles' own words. So what about David? It, is David is David a type of Jesus Christ? We have the case of Joseph, for example, in the scriptures. Another case where we don't have any confirmation in the New Testament. But Joseph presents a picture. It seems like um, being cast out, being sold into bondage. Of course, Christ wasn't sold into bondage. He made himself in, in the form of a servant. Went into the world to save his people. Joseph presents a picture of many things that relate to Christ, but we don't have any biblical warrant for using him, uh, considering him to be a type. And even Joash. You remember that account of Joash in 2 Chronicles? Ahaziah the king was killed by Jehu. And Athaliah Ahaziah's mother saw her opportunity. And this is incredible, and if you didn't read it in the scriptures, you wouldn't be able to believe it outside of perhaps our current political circumstances. But she actually had all the king's sons slain. Do you realize what she was doing? She was having all her own grandsons murdered, 72 of them so that she could be queen of Judah. But in God's providence, in his mercy, and according to his design, because he wasn't going to allow the line of David to be broken. Jehoiada's wife hid this one grandson from Athaliah and kept him in hiding for several years until finally Jehoiada presented him as the king and they had a ceremony and crowned him and Athaliah came in. She had been queen six or seven years now. She came in, treason, treason. Jehoiada says, take her out to the horse gate. Kill her. But can you imagine what she did? But is that, is that a type of what happened when our Lord Jesus Christ was born? 
What did Herod do? He, he inquired of the, of the wise men, where would this child be born? And they told him, so what did Herod do? He sent soldiers to go into the areas of Bethlehem and slay all the male children under two years of age. It's possible that that situation with Athaliah is a type of that because God warned Joseph and Mary, take the child and get out of here. And he was hidden. If it's not a, to be considered a type, it certainly, again, I say, is a good illustration. And again, I ask, is David a type of Jesus Christ? Most writers believe that he most certainly was. I believe that he was. He was called by his name, if you look at it. I mean, Christ was called, was he not? in the Gospels again and again and again. Jesus, thou son of David. Reference made to the name of David. And David means beloved. And the son of God was his beloved, was he not? This is my beloved son. God said. So we could contend that David and Christ share this name. David was a shepherd king, was he not? He was a giant killer who killed the giant Satan at Golgotha. And of course, we're told that David was a man after God's own heart. And of course, there was no man, God-man that is, after God's own heart like our Lord Jesus Christ. And they were both anointed to the positions that they came into. We see David's anointing in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, the anointing of David. I just want to point out some features about that. What was David? You remember the story, how that Saul had been set aside and God told Samuel that he's taken the throne away from Saul because of his disobedience. And Samuel is mourning and God came to him and or spoke to him and said, why are you mourning? And he tells him to go. Go call Jesse of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, to the sacrifice that you're going to make and I'll show you what you're supposed to do. Take a horn of oil with you, he said. And yes, there's something of a subterfuge in that whole matter, but God told him to do it and Samuel went. And that removed the fear that he was under that Saul might kill him. But you remember how that he came to Jesse and he said, gather all your sons here before me. And Jesse gathered his seven eldest sons. And Eliab looked at, or Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, and he saw this muscular, good-looking, Young man and said, surely that's the one. God said, no, it isn't. And down the line through the seven. And finally Samuel says, in desperation, you might imagine, to Jesse, do you have no other sons? Well, I've got one little, the youngest, he's tending the sheep. He's a shepherd. And of course, you know the story, how that they sent for him and he came. 
And Samuel anointed him. And what was it that God said? What did God say to him at this anointing? When they finally brought David into view. Arise, arise, he said. God said to Samuel, anoint him. For this is he. This is he. Even as in his words at Christ's baptism, when we might say that Christ was anointed by John the Baptist, he said, this is my beloved son. And here God says, anoint him for this is he. William Garden Blakey has said that it's certainly not by accident that when Samuel went to Bethlehem to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king, the son on whom the divine choice fell was at the very moment keeping his father's sheep. That was no chance, Blakey says, that this, this young man was a shepherd. It was not by chance that when the holy oil was poured on his head, he wore the shepherd's dress or clothing and had probably in his hands the shepherd's crook. It's no mistake, no accident that this one was a shepherd. He was definitely a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of his sheep. His early employment, that is David's, had a direct and divine bearing upon his later. This seems to be intimated in the words of Samuel. Again, as I said, God spoke. Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Out of all the thousands of Abraham's descendants, a most honorable mark of distinction was placed upon this son of Jesse. An honorable, a remarkable mark of distinction by anointing him to be king over his people. The shepherd, king. This was a, a notable advance in the work of redemption. David was not only the ancestor of Christ, but in some respects, the most eminent personal type of him in all the Old Testament. Again, consider that calling out, Jesus, thou son of David. With that being the case, how could David be anything other than an eminent type of our Lord Jesus Christ, the son of the living God? One writer has said, no new dispensation was inaugurated in the days of David, but a most significant advance was made in the divine foreshadowings of that kingdom over which Messiah now rules. Messiah the Prince, we read in Daniel 9, Messiah the Prince, the Anointed One. That's what Messiah means, is anointed, even as Christ means anointed. This is the Messiah, the Prince. David typifying him. Many of our English Bibles have translated, in fact, I was surprised how many have translated it, Messiah, the Prince, even as my own, which I'm finally attached to, the ASV translates it, the anointed Prince. And again, it means the same, but I love that phrase, Messiah, the Prince. He is king of kings, we just sang. He is lord of lords. Tell those people that think they can have Jesus Christ as their savior without taking him as lord. Tell them that he is Messiah, the prince. 
typified by King David, the shepherd king of Israel. No new dispensation. This writer goes on to say that the mediator is not only, that's capital M, Christ, is not only the arch prophet and high priest, but he's also king of kings. And this it is which was not to be specifically typified. The throne as well as the altar belongs to Jesus Christ. The throne is his. They weren't having, in the days of that writer, they weren't having this, what's called the lordship controversy. But they really, in essence, were having it, only they called it the carnal Christian theory. The same issue, the same problem. Oh, as long as you went down the aisle, as long as you make a profession of faith, even if you live like the devil, when the rapture comes, yeah, they believe in that too, that kind of rapture. When the rapture comes, even though you've lived like this, you'll just go up like that, you see. No, no. It's not what the scriptures teach at all. Again, David means beloved. And God spoke those words, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At both the baptism and the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. This is the shepherd being anointed king here in this picture that we just read with regard to Samuel and this son of Jesse. This is the shepherd, a shepherd, being anointed king. What does Peter say about that? He has something to say about that too. Citing, it seems, from Isaiah 53, he says, we, Ye were going astray like sheep, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The shepherd and bishop, again, he refers in the, a later chapter of his first epistle to Christ as the chief shepherd. Again, he is both Savior and Lord. He is both shepherd and bishop's overseer. Is what bishop means. He is both the saving shepherd and the Lord overseer. You can't have him just for shepherd to guide you and to save you. But you must take him as your Lord overseer. He's a ruler, the ruler as well as the guide. All we have turned astray, have gone astray, Isaiah says. We have turned everyone to his own way. Everyone's got a different way, but it's all against God. It's all sin. We've all turned our own way. Whatever sins we have embraced, it's all the wrong way. But Peter says, but now are you returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You notice it doesn't say, but now you returned. But it's in the past of you are now returned. And who returned you? The Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through his electing grace ministered unto you through the blood of the Lamb of God. He has returned you. You have been returned. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. The good shepherd is surely, as one has paraphrased this because Peter is applying this to pastors. He says Jesus Christ is the prince of pastors. He's God's shepherd. We read in Ezekiel 34, God's complaint 
against those shepherds <clears throat> that are bumping and grinding and pushing over his sheep and not behaving as shepherds ought to. But following that, Ezekiel 34, of course, in a few chapters, is Ezekiel 37, which is very interesting to me. And I don't know that I've ever taken note of this before, this connection, this relationship. But you're familiar probably with, with the vision of the dry bones that Ezekiel was shown. The dry bones. And how that that, yes, it's a vision, but still, it's a type, is it not, of God's powerful regenerating grace in bringing to life those dry, dead bones through his power, by his grace, according to his will. He gives life to those dry bones. And it's a glorious and beautiful type, I believe. Again, it's one of those that's not necessarily referenced in so many words in the New Testament. But I believe that it gives us a glorious type of regenerating grace. But at the conclusion of the 37th chapter, and I know the chapters and the divisions are not inspired. But listen, at the close of this. And my servant David shall be king over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. Again, shepherd king. Who is he talking about? My servant David shall be king over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. They all... They shall also walk in mine ordinances and so on. And he goes down to verse 27, the concluding two verses here. My tabernacle shall be with them. Who tabernacled with us? Who tabernacled in the flesh with men? The Lord Jesus Christ tabernacled. Emmanuel, God with us. He tabernacled with us. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ as my servant David. And he finishes this chapter saying, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the nation shall know that I am Jehovah that sanctifieth Israel. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, calling him my servant David. I don't believe there's any doubt about the typology here. The shepherd king is himself. The tabernacle, he's the sanctuary, even as he is in Zechariah 6, he's the priest, the king and the priest, both on the throne. Here this shepherd king, according to this that we just read, is, is the tabernacle that's being spoken of, the sanctuary that's being spoken of. In Zechariah 6, behold the man whose name is the branch. And he shall grow up out of his place and he shall build the temple of Jehovah. And he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. Priests don't sit upon thrones. Oh, yes, they do. He shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Yes, he's the prince of peace. But again... In 2 Samuel 7, that covenanting that God did with David in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, the, the Davidic covenant as it's called. Even there we have these mysteries about this blending, if we can call it that, of, of statements made about 
David and his lineage, and, and, and then it, it blends into, it has to be speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, the shepherd king, ultimately, the greater son of David. And then it blends back to if he sins, well, Christ doesn't sin. So now we must be talking about David's earthly son, Solomon. And it kind of goes back and forth. But in that covenant, a word spoken both about the lineage and the throne of David with regard to Solomon. But the greater than Solomon is here, Jesus said many years later. The greater than Solomon is here, and he is sitting on the throne of his father David. We read more than once in the New Testament, he is sitting on the throne because of that covenant that God was pleased to make with David, promising not only that his son Solomon would be king after him, but that there would be a greater, ultimately a greater than Solomon. Nathan had gone to tell David, you're not going to build the house. Solomon's going to build it. And so here we see also Solomon as a type. He was going to be the one to build the house. Is that not what Jesus Christ has done? And he told Peter, I'll build my church. I'll build my house. Yes, this is where Solomon is declared to follow his father as a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will build a house. David himself said of this covenant in 2 Samuel 23, those last words of David. He says, Verily, my house is not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for it is all my salvation and all my desire. This typing of David as, having, as God having made a covenant with him. Some contend that there's not the word covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's not referred to as a covenant, but David refers to it here as a covenant. And the, and the writer of the Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles 7, 17 and 18, has said, And as for thee, if thou, and speaking to Solomon, as for me, if thou wilt walk before me as thy father David walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, that's exact words of 2 Samuel 7, and will keep my statutes and mine ordinances, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. Was Rehoboam a ruler in Israel? Solomon's son, Rehoboam? No. The tribes were divided. Rehoboam was king over Judah and part of Benjamin. Who's he speaking of? Who's the chronicler speaking of? But talking about this everlasting covenant, he's speaking of the greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Psalm 78 speaks of this covenant. We were told that God refused the tent of Joseph. He didn't choose Joseph, even, how, even though Joseph was a wonderful illustration and example. He chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah. Why? Because he wanted to. Because it was his will, his sovereign will to do so. He chose the tribe of Judah. The Mount Zion, which he loved, we read in Psalm 78, and he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he hath established forever. He chose David 
also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that have their young. He brought him to be the shepherd of Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he was their shepherd according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. I believe that's Asaph speaking through that Psalm 78. God definitely covenanted with David and he was covenanting with the one who was thou son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, promising that he would sit on the throne of his father David. And he has. My loving kindness will I keep for him forevermore and my covenant shall stand fast with him. The Holy Spirit says through Psalm 89, his seed also will I make to endure forever. Jesus, thou son of David, in his throne as the days of heaven. A type is a shadow cast, one is set on the pages of Old Testament history. Again, employing that term shadow. A shadow cast on the pages of Old Testament history by a truth whose full embodiment or antitype is found in the New Testament revelation. I've seen in writers what appears to me to be a little bit of confusion when they talk about antitypes and so on. One has said theologically a type may defi be defined as a figure or example of something future and more or less prophetic called the antitype. And I think that individual was going back and forth on this a little bit. But there is a, a form of prophecy with types. I don't deny that. But the fact is that the antitype, capital A, the antitype is the original. It is the first. The types are all the rest. The first. The antitype is the real thing. The type is an image of the antitype. A type, an image, a shadow. One used a, an illustration that I thought was helpful. The hammer, he said, on, a, on an old typewriter was the antitype. Maybe a lot of you don't even remember what old typewriters look like, but you won't be surprised that I do. The hammer, you know, that's got the letters on it. When you push the button, something doesn't come up on your screen. This hammer goes forward and it strikes through this ribbon with ink on it and it makes an image on your paper. When the hammer hits through that ink, it leaves that image and that image is the type. The hammer, if you will, is the anti-type. When you pulled out the paper from your typewriter, you didn't sit and wait for your printer to feed it to you. You had to pull it out. When you pulled the paper out, the letters were mere type images of the original anti-type. This illustration is pronouncing, is it not, that Christ is the great hammer? Christ is the anti-type? Christ is the original? He was before all. The types 
all follow after him. He is the Alpha and Omega, is he not? He is the beginning and the end. The antitype. Capital A before all. That is why we read in Psalm 2, Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The antitype. The one that David merely typified as king over Zion. Christ is the antitype. He is the king from the beginning. God the Holy Spirit, the author of scripture, has drawn pictures. He's drawn pictures in these usage of types. He's drawn pictures with, with the Passover lamb, with Jonah, with David, with these many types that are, are found in the Old Testament. He's drawn pictures for us. I think of Robertson's word pictures of the New Testament. That's a kind of a flip of this. Instead of, these are pictures that give you words, we might say. But God the Holy Spirit has given us these pictures for the, in, in, to be found as types because of what? Because of our simplicity. Even as Paul speaks in Galatians about the law and so on, that, that for, for, that, for that economy, that the law was a schoolmaster, a tutor to bring Christ's people unto himself. Here the types are, may be looked at as, as tutors. Under the guidance of God, the Holy Spirit, we may learn much from the many types that he has placed in the scriptures for us. We use this expression quite often to leave an impression. Well, we want to leave a good impression. Or we want to leave an impression. What kind of impression do you think you left? That's what we're looking at here again, thinking in terms of that typewriter. What's the impression? The impression is the type. But what is impressed on there again comes from that hammer, comes from Christ, the antitype. Jonathan Edwards summed these thoughts up rather well. And I'm going to close with reading this portion from Jonathan Edwards. Edward says, God wrought many lesser salvations and deliverances for his church and people before Christ came. Those salvations were all but so many images, types, and forerunners, types, of the great salvation Christ was to work out when he should come. The church during that space of time enjoyed the light of divine revelation or God's word. They had, in a degree, the light of the gospel. But all those revelations were only so many forerunners and earnests, types of the great light which he should bring who came to be the light of the world. That whole space of time was, as it were, the time of night wherein the church of God was not indeed holy without light, but it was like the light of the moon and stars that we have in the night, a dim light in comparison with the light of the sun. The church all that time was a minor, as Paul says in Galatians. 
And so the Holy Spirit gave us many of these types by way of instruction to teach us and to show us and more pointedly and specifically to point us to our Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Let us pray. <coughs> our Father and our God, we thank thee for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that he humbled himself and became a man, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. We praise thee for his so great salvation through his so infinitely great blood in that love that was willing to pour it out for his people to save his sheep. We thank thee for our good shepherd and our king. We thank thee through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand please for the benediction from Numbers 6, 24. Jehovah bless thee and keep thee. Jehovah make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Jehovah lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.